0: All right, so we are continuing in Revelation chapter 13. We are halfway through. Uh, So last week we looked at the first beast, which we identified as the Antichrist, the false Christ. And today we look at the second half of chapter 13, which is the second beast that comes out of the earth. And we will identify him as the false prophet. So, This will be Revelation 13. Where did you get that 11 at? through 12. <laughs> it's my brother. <laughs> uh, false prophet. Yes. <laughs> so, <let's start. laughs> easily distracted tonight. Okay. So, verse 11 then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So if you'll remember, <laughs> chapters 12 and 13 are highly symbolic, but we have those symbols interpreted for us in the book of Revelation. When a symbol is not interpreted for us and it's not identified as a symbol, we're going to take it literally. And uh, identifying symbolism is part of a literal interpretation because when it identifies something as symbolic, we take that identification literally. So when the text says it's symbolic, we identify it as such. So we do know that these beasts are symbolic. They will not be literal wild animals, but they will have the characteristics of these wild animals, uh, primarily from Daniel chapters 7 and 9, 7, 8, and 9. But the, the purpose for using the animals was identified for us also in chapter 17 of Revelation. So uh, we are able to identify the two beasts as uh, Satan's end time duo that will act as the Christ, the Messiah, but the uh, satanic Messiah. And then we have this second beast, this false prophet that functions as a satanic or unholy uh, spirit. So we have Satan putting himself to be God, just as he always has had the ambition to do. Um, ever since the garden, when he sought to put himself above the clouds, above the throne of God. Um, and in order to do so, he has created for himself an anointed one. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit or this unholy spirit is going to be directing worship towards this Messiah in the same way that the Holy Spirit directs worship towards Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but it is necessary to identify the fact that these are not the same beast. Uh, The text clearly reads uh, that they are different from one another, just as there are similarities between the dragon and the first beast. So there are similarities between the first beast and the second beast. However, when it introduces this beast, it does use a Greek word that uh, does not allow identifying them as the same thing, but they will be uh, similar. So there's three different words uh, that uh, give us some identification in Greek about similarity. Alos is the one used in this text, which is uh, another thing of the same kind, meaning that they are not the same, but they will resemble one another. So uh, we think two different kinds of apples. This isn't an apples and oranges issue, but Granny Smith versus uh, what's another kind of apple? Fuji. There we go. Heteros is the Greek word meaning another, but not of the same kind. It's something of a different kind, so like apples and bananas. <coughs> Hameos or homiois is uh, something that is the same or that resembles, uh, meaning it's difficult to tell the difference between the two. Whereas us, you can see that there are differences, but they are in the same general category. Uh, these are uh, brought into the English pretty well heteros, uh, like hetero, and homios, like homo, uh, where we know that one is the same kind of thing, heteros is a different kind of thing. Palos doesn't really have a great uh, tie into English, so it's, it's a little harder for us to understand that just by looking at it, but uh, it is an in-between different and the same. <clears throat> so we've got three beasts, and they all hey. have... Yeah but I will post one afterwards. Uh, we're, we're going to do three sections, the, uh, the false prophet, uh, lying signs and wonders, and then uh, the mark of the beast will be our third section. So this is in our first one, uh, the false prophet, we're identifying who he is um, and what his activity is. Uh, so he is the third in a set of three beasts, that are described from chapters 12 to 13. Chapter 12 is all about the dragon, which is Satan. Chapters 2, uh, Chapter 13 is about the other two. Uh, and the text goes to great length to explain that they do not come from the same place. Uh, so we're going to figure out what that means. Uh, the dragon's origin is identified for us as heaven. It says in Revelation 12:9. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now we know that he's thrown down to the earth, not originating from the earth, but where was he thrown down from? Uh, There are many places in scripture that identify him as a heavenly creature that has fallen first in his, uh, in his countenance and then in his uh, physical position. He has, Fallen from grace, or not grace, but uh, fallen from his position uh, in the heavenlies, but he has not yet fallen from heaven. Um, Here in Luke 10, 18, Jesus Christ gives a prophecy uh, that uh, is in holding with Jesus' uh, deity, where he is outside of time, though physically in time, uh, in his incarnated form. But um, he says here, and he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Uh, this comes rather out of place in the text, unless you understand that Jesus Christ is showing that he uh, is a prophet. And often the prophets will speak of future things as being complete because they see them as complete. Um, so we see anyways that Satan's fall came from heaven. Uh, that was his origin. The first beast, it says, rose up out of the sea. Now there are lots of different interpretations for what this might mean. Uh, We touched on it last time. We're gonna do a bit more tonight because we have something to compare it with with the second beast. But in Revelation 13, 1, it says, the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having 10 horns and seven heads. And on his horns were 10 diadems, which are crowns, and on his uh, heads were blasphemous names. Probably the most common interpretation of coming out of the sea uh, is to indicate that the Antichrist will be a Gentile. There are plenty of reasons to doubt this interpretation, um, but it probably does have some of the strongest uh, evidence to back it up. Uh, But uh, it's not without its flaws. The reason people often think that this means he comes from the Gentile nations is because within Revelation, uh, the waters are used as a symbol of the nations, and that comes from Revelation 17, 15. And we have an angel interpreting some of the signs that John sees. And this angel says, uh, the waters which you saw were the, where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Uh, This is not from the same vision that John is seeing in verse uh, or in chapter 13, but it is part of the same set of visions. Um, So it wouldn't be impossible for this to be an interpretation that carries over to chapter 13, but it's not in the exact context. Uh, So, though it is uh, strong evidence, it's not as strong as it could be, and it becomes weak based on the second beast's identity is from the earth. Uh, So the second beast coming up out of the earth uh, as compared to coming up out of the sea uh, has three general interpretations for futurists. Uh, The first one, which is the weakest view, uh, might indicate that the uh, false prophet will also be a resurrected individual just as the uh, antichrist will be this is generally not found in the text, but people proposing a why not argument, uh, which are never very strong arguments. What they're doing is paralleling the two witnesses that are resurrected uh, with these two individuals and uh, trying to draw a comparison between the two witnesses Mm -hmm. of God and uh, the beast and the false prophet, the first beast and false prophet. But this also does depend on the interpretation of the two witnesses as Moses and Elijah, uh, which uh, though it is the most common uh, interpretation, there are more and more holes in that interpretation uh, with every new scholar that looks at it. Uh, For me, I've pretty much been convinced that it's not Moses and Elijah because it's nowhere found in the text that they will be resurrected individuals or anything besides, uh, two men born in that day, um, who will become God's prophets, just like all the previous prophets have been. Uh, there's nothing to indicate that those two will be anyone who has been resurrected. Uh, they will be two brand new souls. Uh, so this argument of why not, since Moses and Elijah were resurrected, resurrect these two, uh, these two individuals, uh, It just is not a very strong argument. Uh, The biggest proponent for this argument is Clarence Larkin, uh, who is an excellent scholar, but uh, I I haven't seen many people follow his logic on this one. The second and probably most common view is that coming out of the earth indicates that he is a Jew. Uh, This has some contextual strength, but not much uh, textual strength. They will try to correlate this word earth, which is geis uh, as meaning the Jewish nation is having uh, ties in symbolism here to the nation. Um, However, wherever it might point towards Israel, it has 10 times more um, instances where this word points towards the earth in general or the nations at large. Uh, within the context of Revelation, uh, in chapter one, verse seven, this "hai uh, fulai geis, the tribes of the earth is used to indicate the entirety of the earth. Um, so even within the book of Revelation, it's more common to use this word for earth as meaning the whole earth, not uh, not Israel specifically. So this is kind of It's uh, mostly an exercise in searching for evidence rather than having evidence and trying to understand what it means. That being said, uh, many excellent scholars do hold to this and uh, it does make me wonder why, but uh, I have not found strong evidence for him being a Jew. Uh, The reason why this fits contextually is because there needs to be some reason why the Jewish people accept the Antichrist if he is a Gentile, because the Jews, uh, do not easily accept Gentiles. In fact, they've been instructed not to accept Gentiles as ruling over them. Uh, However, I I kind of look at that as the smoking gun, uh, where it's in Deuteronomy that God tells Israel, don't appoint a Gentile over you. Uh, Well, there's never been a time where they have appointed a Gentile over themselves, and God doesn't say unnecessary things. I think that statement by God in Deuteronomy is looking forward to the time where they will appoint the Antichrist over themselves. And I don't think they need another Jew necessarily pointing to that. Uh, however he may be a Jew, I don't think I don't see it in the text. Uh, so there's just as much chance of him being a Jew as there is of him being a Gentile. Uh, the difference between coming out of the ocean or coming out of the sea and coming out of the earth doesn't necessarily indicate that he will be a Jew however, that does remain an option. The third view uh, is that it indicates his humanity coming out of the earth, uh, just as coming out of the sea indicates the beast or the uh, the Antichrist's humanity, but it shows that he is less mysterious and less seemingly harmful as uh, as the beast, the first beast. And this Uh, has mostly to do with how the first century audience would have viewed uh, these symbols. Because this was written to the first century uh, church, we have to look at it through uh, their use of those kind of symbols if there's nothing within the text to interpret that for us. And it was not uncommon um, in first century Roman and Greek uh, literature to use the sea and sea monsters as something peculiarly um, evil and uh, something coming out of the earth or monsters on the earth were not viewed as terribly as monsters coming out of the sea. Again, that's, uh, that's not something we can be dogmatic about, but I do think this is the strongest view. Uh, so just as Satan's origin is in heaven, both of these beasts come out of the earth, one out of the abyss or the ocean to sea, another out of the earth itself. The word for sea or abyss is different uh, from the abyss that the, uh, the swarm of demons comes out of in chapter eight. Uh, this is the word thalassais, which is generally for water. Sea uh, doesn't necessarily carry any um, connotation of the underworld with it. Um, some have tried to identify the sea as the abyss. Uh, these are two different Greek words, and there's not really anything in the context to identify the sea as the abyss. Um, I think it's generally speaking towards his mysterious origins. Uh, the false prophet, he's going to appear less mysterious. He may have already been uh, known and recognized prior to the, uh, the Antichrist arising to power, um, political power that is. Uh, and this this I think would be a decent interpretation, even connecting it with the possibility that the false prophet will be a Jew uh, because he will be a religious leader that people will look to, that when he identifies the Antichrist as the Christ, uh, there's gotta be some reason why they're listening to this false prophet. And we're gonna look at that more. when We look at the similarities between John's ministry and this false prophet's ministry. But what do the two horns indicate? We've seen plenty of horns already in Revelation. And looking back at Daniel, we have lots of horns. In fact, we have an instance in Daniel 10 where there are two horns. Uh, this is not the same beast just because it has two horns. In fact, they're described quite differently. The only similarity is that they, are, uh, that they have two horns. But in Daniel 8, uh, the this beast with two horns represents the unified government of Media and Persia. Uh, So we have people uh, taking this interpretation and saying, okay, well, this might be the unified uh, papal church and Protestant church. Uh, This is not my preferred view, mostly because it uh, fails to take into account that this will be a world religious leader and not just a Christian religious leader. Um, I think the ecumenism of the false prophet will be worldwide and not just within the Christian community. Uh, Though I do believe that those uh, false Christians who remain into the tribulation will easily follow this false prophet. Uh, In fact, many Christian denominations are looking not for the tribulation and for the Antichrist, but for the rapture first. Uh, They don't believe in the rapture. They believe the next thing they will see is Christ. Um, So when they see this man enter the earth, they may believe that it is the return of Christ, Um, especially with this false prophet pointing towards uh, that. Uh, Here, the two horns of the beast may uh, indicate some sort of bifurcated power group that comes together again, uh, just like Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia, But this has led some to identify this as uh, the papacy and Protestant Christianity. Um, Again, this ignores the fact that those are not the only two inflections, even of Christianity, because there's also the Coptic Christians uh, that would be excluded from that. Uh, I don't believe this has much to do with uh, two branches of a government like it does in Daniel 8. Uh, the second view um, actually isn't really a view so much as an anti-view i guess but a lot of commentators uh, when they're trying to identify the antichrist uh, perform what we call a fallacy of categories uh, and that is that they identify this false prophet as the real antichrist Uh, but that's not to say that uh the first one is not the Antichrist as we know him. It's basically to say that we've taken the wrong name for the first Antichrist, that scripture, like in 1 John 2.18, where we receive the name Antichrist, it's talking about false prophets, not about the man that the prophets will point to. Uh, and they're correct in saying that. But uh, we have come to identify this first beast as the Antichrist that we understand as Antichrist. Uh, Culturally, as we have defined this word, Antichrist, uh, they are correct in saying that we have mislabeled the Antichrist the Antichrist. He is the false Christ, uh, but Antichrist speaks of false prophets and that there will come a false prophet. That false prophet will uh, point to worship towards uh, someone who is not Christ. So, this is actually an answer that's not really an answer. Um, it's kind of the same thing as. Uh, as when scientists say that the Bible is wrong because the Bible identifies bats as birds, um, but they forget that uh, mankind has categorized bats as not being birds, where God categorizes them as being birds. Uh, So it's it's kind of missing the fact that, yes, the Antichrist is a poor name for the the personality that we understand to be the Antichrist, uh, but that doesn't mean that the first one doesn't exist because uh, other than that, I don't see exactly what their argument is here. Um, so yes, the Antichrist uh, will imitate. Oh, yeah, fallacy of categories. The Antichrist will imitate Christ, uh, imitate him as a lamb. Uh, he will come promising peace, but the fact that this second uh, beast is called like a lamb. Uh, isn't actually identifying him as contrary to what Christ is. Uh, The term for being like a lamb, this says as a lamb, um, hosts andras or whatever it is in the Greek, isn't qualifying the beast, it's qualifying the horns. So it says he has two horns like a lamb, not he is like a lamb having two horns. Uh, The beast actually isn't identified as lamb-like but whatever kind of beast he is, he has ram or lamb horns. Uh, Also, uh, this lamb or these lamb horns are not uh, identified in a similar way as the Lamb of God is identified, because the Lamb of God has seven horns, we see in chapter 5 of uh, Revelation. So this isn't, it appears, this is not an attempt to juxtapose this lamb against the lamb of god saying that he is an imitator of christ uh, these are two distinct personalities the first beast and the second beast uh, he is not the real antichrist the one who comes second we've just misappropriated the name antichrist for the man of lawlessness uh, point three uh for view three is again my view i tend to put my views towards the end um, usually that has the strongest evidence anyways. (laughs) Um, So uh, I am looking at this in the immediate context of chapter 13, before I'm going outside of the context uh, to first revelation uh, 17 and then revelation five, and then going to Daniel seven to eight. And it appears that his fewer horns um, probably uh, or the fact that he has horns identifies him as some sort of governing authority and having fewer than the, uh, the man of lawlessness identifies him as lesser in power. Uh, and this is consistent with Daniel 7 to 8, although there is one, uh, one beast that has two horns uh, that indicate two different governments uh, in unison. Uh, That misses the context in Daniel 7 that is uh, putting this beast with two horns up against another beast that has four horns um, and that his power was not able to overcome the beast with four horns. Uh, Uniquely in that passage, a smaller horn does uh, arise out of those four um, and he uh, conquers the other horns but that is supposed to be surprising that the smaller horn is able to dominate the other horns. That is not looked at as the norm. These fewer horns generally indicate lesser power. Uh, The lack of crowns on these horns as well uh, would indicate that his authority is probably not political, possibly religious. Uh, And that's based on his activity, not his symbolism. Uh, If you remember the first beast had uh, seven heads with ten horns and ten crowns. Uh, This beast has only one head and two horns and no crowns, Uh, so he is a little more modest in appearance. Uh, It could be that these two horns are indicating either unity or division. Uh, This is uh, something that F.W. Grant, um, an old dispensationalist, has identified as a theme throughout scripture that when The number two is used for satanic entities. It indicates uh, division, whereas uh, the the, uh, sanctified use of the number two when it's uh, connected with God is unity. Uh, And we can identify Christ, the second person of the Trinity, as the great unifier between God and mankind, bridging that gap uh, when they were separated by man's sin. Uh, Yeah, he is not as powerful as this first beast but uh he points to the power of the first beast and say here he is um, here is the christ worship him um, so this really is functioning uh well you see satan's also running out of time here so he's <laughs> he's uh he's mixing a lot of god's uh methods of revealing the christ uh he used john the baptist he used many prophets Um, and he used the Holy Spirit uh, in this age to point towards Christ. Uh, Here, Satan has put all of these offices on this one single man and uh, caused him to point towards the Christ. And, uh, all right, so he also speaks like the dragon. Uh, Dragon in the Greek is an an arthurus, which means it has no article. Uh, Generally, that means it's an indefinite. Uh, noun meaning it has not yet been spoken of, Uh, but when it is in such close proximity, being even within the same chapter here, uh, or same uh, vision as the previous dragon, it doesn't have to have uh, an article. Uh, We we can understand it contextually as looking back to the dragon, the only other dragon that has been identified in Revelation, Uh, that also points us all the way back to Genesis 3 and says that he was the serpent who was in the garden uh, from the beginning. Uh, so what, is it, what does it mean to speak like the dragon? Uh, it actually is pretty surprising. It's not uh, speaking with fiery power. It's speaking with subtle cunningness. Uh, so in John 8.44, uh, we read... Uh, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Uh, Another good place to look would be in uh, John 1 or 1 John chapter 1, verses uh, eight through 10, uh, talking about those who are not walking in the light being liars. Uh, chapter two also has those indications. So again, when, uh, when, when we're in the writings of John, we want to stay in the writings of John, first of all, before we look elsewhere. Uh, but we see that the dragon or the, uh, the, uh, Satan is identified as a liar by Jesus Christ. That is, uh, his nature so when this false prophet comes speaking like the dragon, uh, he is speaking lies. Uh, he is lying about who the Christ is when he's pointing towards this Antichrist. In 2 Corinthians eleven three 3 through 4, uh, we see this as well from Paul. He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. It means uh, essentially they are looking for anything but the truth that they have been delivered. Uh, Paul is encouraging them to believe the words that have already been spoken to them, the words once for all handed down uh, to the saints, but they are looking instead for another gospel, and they will find it because the Antichrists are already in the world. Uh, but there is a final Antichrist, this false prophet, uh, who will point towards the false Christ. And 2 Corinthians 11:13 13 through 15, a little forward in our chapter uh, by Paul, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if this, if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Uh, and I think this is really the key to the Antichrist's campaign in the last phase. He is going to come imitating Christ, imitating the apostles in every way that he can. Uh, the difference won't necessarily be in the miracles he performs, but in the message or in the object um, of worship that he is proposing. Uh, And that's when it gets kind of tricky, especially in Christian circles, where uh, people are looking for signs and miracles and wonders to confirm truth. Uh, But these miracles will sometimes point to something that is not Christ. In fact, a miracle does not conform truth if that truth is not aligned with previously revealed um, words of God. All right. so what is his activity? It says he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. Uh, this in his presence uh, is the Greek word. can't remember the Greek word for that. It is a preposition, uh, not an adjective or a uh, locative here, but it also has the meaning of on behalf of him. It likely is that he does this uh, under the authority under the domain or under the power of the first beast but it says he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence or on behalf of him and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed so his job his duty on this earth is going to be to direct worship towards the first beast he is not going to exalt himself he is going to exalt the first beast and claim that he is the Antichrist or the, that he is the Christ. And the primary evidence that he will use for that is the fact that his fatal wound had been healed. Um, again, healed is used here in verse 12 and in 14. Um, it's going to actually speak of life coming back into him. Uh, this is one that's pretty hard for most to swallow. That uh, in this these last days where Satan is no longer... Uh, confined uh, to where God has restricted him, he will be allowed to, uh, to perform this apparent miracle of reviving the dead. Now, this will not be the kind of life that Christ gives, where one is born again to an everlasting uh, resurrection body. Uh, this will be a demonic, uh, a demonic reanimating of the Antichrist, but it will appear to be a resurrection to life uh, because he will have all of the appearance of life to him. Uh, so what is the authority of the first beast? It says that the second beast will act in the authority of the first beast. The authority of the first beast is not necessarily even his own. Um, in Revelation 13 too, it says the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power. And his throne and great authority. So, if you remember, uh, we looked back at Matthew, where uh, Satan offered Jesus Christ all the thrones of the earth if he were to bow down and worship him. It appears that uh, in the last days, when Satan's time is running short and he sees uh, he sees what has been prophesied about his end coming soon to pass, uh, he will choose a simple man. Uh, who will take this offer uh, to worship Satan in exchange for all the kingdoms of the earth. And uh, <clears throat> Satan will reanimate him. He will come into him after he has been killed. Uh, so the dragon that gives him power, gives him a throne and gives him great authority uh, is, uh, <clears throat> is basically his selling of his soul uh, to Satan. His domain of influence, uh, there's actually two different groups spoken of. One is in verse 12 and the other in verse 14. In verse 12, um, it says he will make the earth and um, all who in the earth are dwelling. So this verb make has two different objects, the earth and then also those who are dwelling in the earth. Uh, In verse 14, it says he will deceive those dwelling on the earth. The second one in, four, in verse 14 is used in Revelation as a technical term for those who are in rebellion against God, uh, the earth dwellers or the earthlings, you could say. So, in verses uh, or chapter in verse 3 10, 6 10, 8 13, 11 10, 13 8, and 17 8, we see this exact Greek construction used to uh, indicate those who are in rebellion, those who are not uh, born, born again. Um, So he will be able to deceive those who are not of God, those who are in rebellion against God, Um, but um, he will have physical domain of influence over the entire earth, which includes those who are the others of the seed of the woman. We remember that there are a certain number of um, Jews at this point who are safe in Petra, who are not able to be harmed by Satan and by extent are not able to be harmed by the Antichrist duo. Uh, However, those who are not in Petra will still uh, be made to worship and there will be severe consequences for not worshiping the first beast, uh, which we will look at when we see the mark of the beast. They're not in Petra? So we see that there uh, is a distinction in the saved people of God Uh, during this period of the tribulation. Some will be protected in Petra, those who have physically moved there. Uh, but those who are not physically in Petra uh, will be outside of that protective sphere of Petra. And so uh, we see that the Antichrist, uh, being the the uh, warmonger of the serpent, of the dragon, uh, will go after some um, who are not in Petra. And so this sphere of influence that this false prophet has, he will not be able to deceive those, but he will still demand that those uh, who belong to God worship the, uh, the Antichrist, the beast, the first beast. Uh, the object of worship in Revelation 13, 3 through 4, uh, <clears throat> it says, uh, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, that is, the first beast, and his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Uh, The confirmation of the first beast will be his resurrection. They will point to that and say, see, only a Christ, only a Messiah can do that. Uh, Then they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying who is like the beast and who is able to wage war against or wage war with him. So we see that the ultimate object of worship here is Satan. This will be outright Satan worship. Um, but their expression of how they worship Satan will be um, by this beast. So we can even look at this beast as uh, as an idol of Satan and the beast himself will also have an idol that we will look at a little further in our chapter as well. Uh, but there are some very interesting parallels uh, with God's way of doing things that Satan has chosen to replicate. Uh, some, Some in their commentaries. Um, I'm thinking especially of Robert Thomas, um, who wrote uh, probably the best uh, Greek commentary on Revelation, uses instead of imitate, he uses the word parody. Um, I think he does that because it has more of a context of mockery, Uh, and that is one thing that Satan is doing here, is he is mocking God, Uh, and that would be in line with the blasphemous words uttered by the Antichrist. But one thing that he is mocking is the relationship between, um, between Moses and Aaron here. That will be very similar to the relationship between the, uh, the false Christ and the false prophet. In Exodus four fifteen to 16, uh, we see God speaking to Moses saying, You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I, even I will be with your mouth and his mouth and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, you shall speak for you to the people and he will be as a mouth for you and you will be as a God to him. Um, So we see that Aaron works on behalf of Moses, who is a servant on behalf of the Lord. So the beast uh, being a servant on behalf of Satan Uh, will have a servant himself, uh, and that is the false prophet. They will also attempt to confirm themselves by signs, just as Moses and Aaron. In Exodus 7, 9, uh, actually 7, 9 through 13, we get, uh, 7, 9 through 13, we see an instance where Two magicians are able to replicate Moses and Aaron's signs, uh, but they're only able to do so up to a certain point. Uh, In Exodus 7, we read, then Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, uh, work a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, uh, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Well, the two magicians, Janus and Jambres, copied this sign. It says, then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, also, uh, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Uh, so we see that although they were able to replicate uh, God's miracles, there's still evidence in this text that it was not nearly as impressive as Aaron and Moses, uh, evidenced by the fact that Aaron's staff actually ate the other two staffs. Uh, anticlimactic. Very <laughs> anticlimactic. But Pharaoh was willing to accept this evidence. He was willing to submit this uh, into the evidence of, uh, of <laughs> power, and though his, the two serpents of the others uh, were destroyed by, by the serpent of God here, Aaron's staff, Um, his heart was still hardened. Uh, It is interesting that the magicians are only able to copy two of the ten uh, signs that Moses and Aaron bring from God onto Egypt. Uh, However, this appears to be God's restraining them uh, from being able to access the satanic power that otherwise Satan would reveal. Uh, but God is going to take those harnesses off uh, or those, yeah, he's, he's going to take the leash off in the last seven years and allow them to be deceived by the, uh, by the false signs and wonders of the Antichrist. Uh, another imitation would be uh, by Elijah the prophet. We see Elijah acts on behalf of God now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Uh, so we see um, Elijah is able to um, work miracles, uh, but he does so on behalf of God. So this false prophet will work miracles, but he does not do so by his own power. He does so under the authority of the First beast who operates under the authority of Satan himself. <clears throat> now here's the probably the most interesting one, uh, and this is the relation between the false prophet and the office of John the Baptist. Uh, John came as a way paver for Jesus Christ. His job was to prepare uh, the hearts of Israel to receive their Messiah. In Malachi 4, 5 through 6, we read, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now when John arrives, they ask him, Who are you? Uh, And he'll say, No, I'm not Elijah. Um, But he does come in the same uh, spirit as Elijah. In John 1 to 23, it says, then they said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, there are actually two prophecies joined into one uh, when John is introduced one is a prophecy from Isaiah 40, and the other is this prophecy from Malachi, but a prophecy previous um, to the one we just read in Malachi uh, that um, identifies him as the voice crying in the wilderness that comes from Malachi. <coughs> Make straight the way of the Lord comes from Isaiah. But this was John's function. This was John's purpose was to prepare the way of the king. In, uh, oh, I didn't include more of that. Uh, Eventually, when, uh, when John is uh, down at the Jordan baptizing, uh, there's a discussion both in Luke and uh, John, about, uh, actually it's in Matthew as well, about the one who John points to and identifies as the Christ. What they're being baptized into is to accept the one who John points to. John says, it's not me, I'm not the Christ. Uh, There's one coming whose sandals I'm not, or the strap of whose sandals I'm not able to bear. Uh, What they were doing, being baptized by John, was understanding his office as pointing towards the Christ, so that when the Christ came, they would trust John when he points to him and says, that is him. Uh, That was the purpose of John prior to Christ's arrival Now, the Holy Spirit has a similar function after Christ's departure. In John 16, 8 through 11, uh, Christ identifies the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit as in a special ministry during this dispensation. He says, and he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So this is identifying the unbelieving world. Um, He will convict them of their sins in order to uh, show them their need for Christ. Uh, He will convict them concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. I think this is probably the most important in our context here. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to function as the physical, visible Christ here on this earth. Now, he does that in operating through the church, and the church doesn't always do a great job of representing Christ. But that is not for the failures of the Holy Spirit. That's for the failures of the church in acting in the power of the spirit. When the spirit's power is being acted within, uh, Christ is reflected to the world. Uh, But he also does have a ministry on the hearts of the unbelievers that is apart from the church. uh, That we see uh, God is pleading with the mind uh, of the unbeliever. Um, but the unbeliever in continuing to reject God may uh, end up hardening or having his heart hardened. Uh, but the purpose of the Holy Spirit's uh, convicting to righteousness is because Jesus Christ is not on the earth right now. Uh, the Holy Spirit is sent in place of him um, so that righteousness might be seen uh, and seen in contrast to the unrighteous world, the cosmos system. Finally, the Holy Spirit comes concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Notice this is in the perfect tense. The judgment took place already. Uh, And this is in John 16 prior to the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And it was true that this was in the perfect tense even before the crucifixion of Christ because uh, the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged ever since Genesis 3.14. That was the judgment that God laid it down, that uh, he would uh, be destroyed. He would be crushed by the seed of the woman. That was the verdict. Uh, Ever since that point, judgment has been imminent on Satan. Satan's already been judged. Um, Choosing to join his side would be like uh, choosing to join the Nazi party after Hitler died. Uh, It would be stupid. And that's what the Holy Spirit is here to convict this world of. Uh, But one of the major proofs that we are able to point back to in this church age uh, as an apologetic point that uh, the apostles use continually is the resurrection of Christ, that no other man has ever been resurrected. So when the Antichrist appears to be resurrected, they will point back to that and say, look, uh, he is Christ. The irony of this, is that in Acts 17 30 to 31 when Paul presents this to the crowd uh, they tell him speak no more of this don't basically don't say such foolish things but when the Antichrist comes and does that they will accept that Uh, and that has all to do with whose side have they chosen to be on already so in Acts 17 30 to 31 Paul says therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead, raising him from the dead by the power of God. This was the proof furnished to all men that this was the chosen one of God. All right. So there's a bit about the identity of the false prophet. Uh, he is the third member of the unholy Trinity, just as the Holy Spirit is the third member Member of the Holy Trinity. Um, His function is to point worship towards the false Christ. This is uh, who we understand as the Antichrist. Uh, And this is very much the same function as the Holy Spirit today, pointing worship towards Jesus Christ. In fact, when we worship, we worship in the Holy Spirit. When we pray, we pray in the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is what directs worship towards Christ, the Holy Spirit. So the false prophet third member, of the unholy trinity, uh, will point to worship towards the false Christ. He will be inferior to the power of the false Christ. Uh, he receives his power from him uh, just as that beast receives his power from Satan, uh, and this is an imitation game, and we're going to see that more and more as we progress throughout this chapter, and also chapters 14 through 17. Uh, Satan's purpose is to copy God. Uh, And he's making a copy because this world was designed to be governed in a certain way under God's power. Uh, And Satan can't reinvent the wheel here. Um, He's not inventing anything, he can only corrupt. Uh, But corruption does have to follow this, uh, this pattern, otherwise it would be different, it would be a different creation. So although he is imitating, he is placating God, He is doing so because he is bound to certain restrictions, and he knows that this world can't be governed uh, by something that is ungodly. So he tries to uh, make himself appear as something godly, but uh, he uh, is—he is not wise. His wisdom has been blinded by his uh, by his sin. So it says Satan cannot create, but he can imitate. Uh, This has two purposes. His first purpose in imitating will be uh, to deceive those on the earth that he is the Christ or a Christ. Many people um, who refuse to receive the historical Jesus, the Jesus who actually did uh, come and die for our sins and rise again, uh, such as uh, many unbelieving Jews who do not receive Jesus Christ, they are still looking for a Christ. Uh, So Satan will come uh, proposing a Christ. Um, And Jesus in, I think, Matthew 5 um, says, me you do not receive, but another is coming, and him you will receive. Uh, So this uh, worship being directed towards this Christ, uh, many Jews will be deceived by that. Many in other religions will be deceived by this. Uh, The Muslims are looking for the last Mahdi. Uh, What are the, Hindus are looking for, I think a Krishna or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, all kinds of religions, they're waiting for a messiah. Uh, This will be the man that Satan puts on the throne of the earth and says, here, this is the messiah. And the means which he will use is this false prophet pointing towards him and saying, look at his miracles, look at his power. Look, he even resurrected. Only a god can do that. Um, His uh, second purpose in imitation is to recreate the power structure of the Godhead. Um, he recognizes God's supreme power, but rather than understanding that it is innate uh, and intrinsic to God and cannot be replicated by the creation, he believes to, uh, to imitate uh, the structure would make him just as powerful, but it is not true. <laughs>